Our topic this evening will be unity in religion. Unity in religion. Come on in and we'll be opening up our Bibles to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, unity in religion. As I mentioned a moment ago, I want to ask you questions. But before we get to those questions, I want to kind of have a devotional with you from the book of Ephesians and Philippians. You'll notice in Ephesians and Philippians that Paul points out some features of unity. Unity that uh, is to be had in religion. Unity among believers. Okay. And so if you'll just notice this with me, we'll take just a few minutes and have these thoughts together and then I want to open it up and ask questions. Okay. So in Ephesians 4, notice verse 3. We're talking about the, the unity of the Spirit. This is the first feature. We're talking about unity that God desires. Okay. Unity of the Spirit. You see Ephesians 4 and verse 3? Okay. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're talking, the first feature of this unity we're talking about is that it's a unity of the Spirit. It's the unity that the Spirit desires. It's the unity that results from following the guidance of the Spirit, the guidance of God. Okay. Ephesians 6 and 17 Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When we take the Word of God and follow it as we ought to, then we will obtain the kind of unity and we'll see the kind of unity that God wants us to have. Okay. So notice unity of the Spirit there. And then turn your Bibles over to Philippians 2 and notice in verse 1, it mentions fellowship in the Spirit. That's, that's basically the same idea in Philippians 2 verse 1. Your Bible may say participation in the Spirit. Um, my translation has fellowship in the Spirit. So unity of the Spirit, fellowship of the Spirit, that's our first feature. It's the kind of, the kind of unity that God desires. The kind of unity you get when you follow God. You might recall that Jesus prayed for unity before he went to the cross, and you read about that in John 17, 20 and 21. Okay. He had been praying for the apostles, and he says, Father, I don't pray just for these alone, but I also pray for all those that will believe in me through their word, through the words of the apostles, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. So the first feature is a, it's, it's a unity of the Spirit. And then the second feature, the second feature is that this unity comes by, by this initial calling. I want you to notice, let your eyes go down to Ephesians 4 and notice the word calling in verse number 1. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. Calling. Calling. That's the second feature of the unity. Unity involves those who respond to God's plan of salvation. God makes His plan of saving us from, from our sins plain here in Scripture. 
And then those who respond to it become part of his fold. They become part of his people. And so that's part of the unity that is, um, that is found in scripture. Okay. Let's hold our place here and run over to Acts 2 and notice Peter's words that helps us understand this calling. Acts 2, you remember the people heard Peter what he was saying about Christ. They said, what shall we do about our sins? And Peter responds in verse 38, you should repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then notice what he says right after that in verse 39, Acts, Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 2. He says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, even everyone whom the Lord our God shall call. See that? Everyone to whom the Lord our God, God calls to himself. That's the calling. That's the calling. The calling is from God through his written message and those who respond to it become part of God's people. And so you see this, this is part of that unity that God desires. Notice it says here in Acts 2, while we're still there, verse 37, it says, when they heard this, see they were hearing it. They were hearing God's plan. Okay. They asked, what shall we do? And then those who respond to that, to that call, become part of God's believers, and uh, they were told to repent and be baptized. Okay. So that's the second feature of this unity that we're trying to point out here. The third feature is the, is the peculiar life that believers have. Notice that back in Ephesians 4 and verse 1. Walk means live. Okay, walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. Okay. Now notice how similar this is. Flip over just a couple of pages to Philippians 1, verse 27. Philippians 1, 27, where there Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Almost the same statement. So live in such a way. Now who are going to be the believers who are unified these are going to be the ones who live in such a way that it is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Or they're living up to the calling of which they were called. This call of the gospel. Okay. So it's not just a simple um, come to Jesus and everything's okay. It's, it's a call to a particular kind of life. Right? Now, Let's compare a verse here. Look over in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, just a few pages over. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12. Look down to 1 Thessalonians 2 and, and verse 12. Where Paul says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk, notice this, to walk in a manner worthy of God himself, who calls you, notice that, who calls you into his own kingdom 
and glory. We know how he calls us. We just talked about that in Acts 2. They heard the gospel. They respond to that call. And when you respond to that call, the repentance and baptism, you become part of the believers. Now, the third feature is walk in such a way, live in such a way that it is worthy of God himself. It's worthy of the gospel. It's worthy of the calling that you've been called uh, with. And as you're flipping back toward Ephesians, stop at Colossians 1. Stop there at Colossians 1 in verse 10. Notice Paul's prayer for these brethren. He says, I'm praying, Colossians 1.10, so as uh, all of us will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's Christian living right there, guys. That, that's, that's a summary of it. These little verses we just read from 1 Thessalonians 2.12, Colossians 1 verse 10, Philippians 1.27. Okay. Part of this unity is that each one involved lives in accordance to the gospel. It's a peculiar life. Right. Now, going back to Ephesians 4, because I, want, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, which we could, but not a lot of time, because I want to get to some questions. But in Ephesians 4, the fourth feature of this, this unity involves the qualities of the heart that Paul mentions here in verses 2 and 3 of Ephesians 4. This is, this is another part of this unity. All of these are necessary for the unity of the believers. Not a one of these can be set aside. These qualities of the heart are also necessary. Notice he mentions verse 2. This, is, um, th this life is to be lived with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, forbearing with one another in love, giving diligence to, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Notice these qualities, qualities of the heart. Especially notice the last two there, forbearing and long-suffering. Forbearing and patience. And patience. Being a Christian means you have a lot of restraint. You hold back. You're patient with each other. You're patient with people you're trying to help. You're patient because you have the end goal in mind, and that is you want everybody to be in heaven. Notice these qualities in a similar way. Flip over to Philippians uh, 2 and notice verses 1 and 2. Philippians 2, 1 and 2. Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Okay. He uses the word if here uh, to refer to uh, truth, uh, truth that is uh, assumed, truth that is assumed. In other words, um, um, we all want to get home safe. That's, a, that's an assumed truth. Okay. If you want to get home safe, then drive on the right side of the road. Okay. That's just kind of the if that he's using here. All of us want to have the unity of the Spirit, so what do we need? We need these we need these qualities of love. 
We need affection. We need uh, patience. We need comfort. We need encouragement. Okay, and these are the qualities that Paul is talking about here. So notice these four features so far. It's to be a unity of the Spirit. It's to come from the initial calling of the gospel. And then the third is it, it's to involve a peculiar life, a life led in accordance with the gospel. And then the fourth is that everyone is to have certain qualities of the heart. And this is, there are several lists in the New Testament about the kind of heart that we need. Okay. The fifth feature here is the peace that everybody shares. Those who respond to the gospel, notice this is a unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Then we share peace. We share the peace that God gives us because we understand our sins have been forgiven. We understand now there's no fear of death. And just those two ideals together can really create a, a sense of peace. And we share that with each other. You see. And uh, just to make reference, uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 uh, speaks of the peace that passes understanding. Okay. This peace that we get, we can't, we can't come up with it. You know, it's beyond us to bring this peace to the world. We, we depended on and we do depend on God uh, to bring it to us through the gospel. Okay. So that's the fifth feature is this peace. And the sixth feature of this peace that we're talking about tonight is sameness of doctrine. Okay. Sameness of doctrine. These qualities of the heart and this peace pave the way for us to be unified in, in what we believe. Un, unity of doctrine, sameness of doctrine. And we pick up on this in Ephesians 4, verse 4, where Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. You see that? That's sameness of doctrine. And Paul picks up on this um, as well in Philippians uh, chapter 1, once again, verse 27. Okay. He says, verse 27 is a long verse, but notice it with me, Philippians 1, 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus, so that whether I come and see you, or if I'm absent, I may hear of you that. And what does Paul want to hear about? He says, I want to hear that you are all standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Okay. See, that's Paul's prayer. That's Paul's desire. It's not just Paul's desire. It's God's desire that we have a sameness of what we believe. Okay. And so he explains that in Ephesians 4. He also makes reference to it here, here in Philippians 1.27. Notice it's not the faith of, of your choice. You don't just get to choose your faith. Okay. He says in, in Philippians 1.27, he says, I want to hear that you're all standing firm side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, we, we don't just pick a faith, but it's got to be the faith of the gospel. Go back to Ephesians 4. What do we read? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. You see that? It's just right there, plain as plain can be in our Bibles. Ephesians 4, verse 4. There's those seven ones there 
and then compare that to Philippians 1.27. And also, we could read together Philippians 2 again. But I want you to see that feature, sameness of doctrine. And then the seventh feature, the seventh feature, and this is the last one, and that is, I would just call this one boldness and courage. You can't have unity of the Spirit without boldness and courage. Notice how Ephesians 4 verse 1 begins. How does Paul identify himself in Ephesians 4 verse 1? How does he do it, Mike? Ephesians 4 1. He identifies himself as what? Prisoner. Prisoner. He does it again in Ephesians 3 and verse 1. He does it again in Ephesians 6 and verse 20. He does it again in Philippians 1 and verse 7. He does it again in Philippians 1 verse 14. He says, I'm a prisoner. But notice again, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. That's just how Paul looked at it. Paul's incredible. I, do, I wish I could be more like Paul. Paul, absolutely incredible. You know, we, we noticed together Sunday in, in our worship that Paul bore on his body, Galatians 6, 17, the marks of Jesus. Now, Jesus did not put those marks on his back. Okay. Some Roman official did, but he called them the marks of Jesus. You see the courage that's there? You see the boldness that's there? Okay, that unity, the true unity cannot exist unless the members of the body, the members of God's people, have boldness and courage. Okay. Notice in this regard, notice Philippians 1 with me, especially verse 28. Verse 28. I wanted us to do some, see the similarities between Ephesians and Philippians. But he says in verse 28, he says, and, and don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but it's a clear sign of your salvation, and that is from God. You see, courage is a sign of our salvation, but their opposing the gospel is a sign of their destruction. Don't be frightened by their opposition. Okay. All right, so I wanted us to see just as a kind of a, an introductory thought here, these seven features of unity that Paul points out uh, in Ephesians 4 and also in Philippians 1 and 2. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions about unity. Specifically, what is unity based on? When you think about unity of believers, unity of belief, what God wants, what is, what is that unity based upon specifically? What's it based on? Okay. Based on God. What makes you say that? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And that's all we have to hold on to that never passed away. Okay. And if we all believe the same thing that God gave, then we got unity. Okay, if we all might say if we all believe the same thing that God has instructed us, then we all have unity. And this is similar again to what Jesus prayed in John 17. I pray also for all those, Jesus said, I pray for those who will believe on me through the words of the apostles. Okay. Very, very important part of the prayer there, through their word, the words of the apostles. 
John 17, 20, 21. And then as the church got going, we read in Acts 2, 42, and they, the believers, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of the bread and the prayers. But the apostles, because Christ qualified the apostles to direct the religious belief, to give the instruction. And that's how the unity was to occur. So Mike is correct in that specifically the unity of believers is created by everybody going to the Word of God, seeing it, understanding it, submitting uh, to it. <coughs> Add to that, though, Jesus praying there, when he prays for us to be one, he says, as thou, Father, are in me, and I in you. So that is also our standard, specifically the relationship of the Father and Son is our standard for being unity. Have, do you ever read that God is somehow divided against himself? Do you ever read the Son and the Holy Spirit being divisive against each other? Don't we always read, like John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Okay. Tremendous love and tremendous oneness exist among the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Based on that, that's our standard uh, that Christ has given us. Okay. All right. So, that's right. That's an excellent point, Mike. From, from the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But... Here comes the unity, not as, not as I will, Father, but your will be done. Very good. And Jesus carried out the Father's will, as difficult as it was. All right, so thinking about what constitutes unity today, according to God's sight. Now, how does, how does true unity that we've been reading about how is it different, or I should say it like this, how is the world's sense of unity different from true unity? When you look at the denominational world, how is their concept of unity different from what we've been reading about so far? Okay, Sam's saying that, that part of the problem in the religious world is there's some scripture involved which constitutes part of their unity, but also there's some additions and subtractions involved as well. Okay. What about somebody else? What, what, do you see any differences between what scripture says is unity and what, what the religious world Misinterpretation by those who are in charge, who want to run things. Okay. Okay. 
their concept of unity is that as long as all in the group follow what they believe, then that is unity. In other words, let's get everybody to agree. It may not be that everything that we're believing is exactly with scripture, but as long as we all believe it, then that constitutes a unity, a false unity. And that's, that's very true. The unity of the world is based on a general belief in God, but not the specific teachings that we have pointed out in Paul's epistles here. Okay, the, the seven ones, which is such a clear platform for unity. I don't know how it's missed. You know, I don't know how it's missed, but it's missed. And so the religious unity in the de denominational world is more a general follow Jesus and we'll all end up in the same place. Okay. But scripture presents more of a very specific platform for unity. Okay. Sam's making reference to Romans 10, uh, 13 through 17 there, and, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And that preacher has to be teaching the truth or the unity just goes in disarray. That's right. And that's the point Mike was making is many in the religious world will misinterpret scripture and then that causes others to do the same thing and then you've got You've got a, a, a togetherness, but you don't have true unity. Well, you can tie two cattails together and you can throw them on the clothesline. You'll have union, but you're not going to have unity. Okay. You'll have union if you throw those cats. You tie the cattails together and throw them over a clothesline. They're, they're together, but they're not unified. That's good. Definitely not unified with God with a teaching there. Okay. We have to be careful. The size of the congregation sometimes kind of depends on that unity and love. Smaller churches can fall into a group or we want it done this way. And as long as everybody agrees with that certain one or two in that congregation, then they have unity. That even creeps into the church and that's sad. Okay. All right, anyone else? Um, So some seek entertainment, and therefore it causes some, some division. Okay. And again, the reason they would seek that is because they just don't know the word well enough. So that's a good point.
Thank you. That's a good point that both of you are making. Your, the view of Scripture is really key to everything. How do you view Scripture? Can you view it as take it or leave it? Take some of it, leave the rest of it alone? Or is it a pattern for life? That's good. With the time we have left, um, on this side, um, I want you to turn over to Galatians 2 and read 11 through 14. And on this side, I want you all to turn to 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. And be ready to comment on what, in both of these places, what has caused division. Okay, so over here, these two sections, Galatians 2, 11 through 14. And then over here, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. Take a moment and read those sections. And let's be ready to explain why is there division. Both of these are examples of skirmishes among brethren. Okay. And let's see if we can find out why these skirmishes existing and what the solution uh, was. So we'll start over here with Galatians 2, uh, 11 through 14. And um, one of you gentlemen over here, be, go ahead and start explaining to us what's going on. Galatians 2, 11 through 14. What do you think? Okay, Galatians 2 is referring to some of Peter's instability. Okay. What exactly is that instability, Brother Larry?
Yes. Brother Larry is explaining that here in Galatians 2, uh, Peter would associate with, with Gentiles uh, who were from Antioch. Um, but then when certain Jews come in onto the scene, he would then separate himself from those uh, Gentiles, uh, playing the hypocrite. And then he's saying, even Barnabas got carried away with it. And uh, it even says here that Peter stood condemned. Now, disunity will get a person's soul lost. These are very serious words from Paul. Peter stood condemned. And he even says to Peter, you're not walking uprightly according to the truth of the gospel in verse 14. Okay, this is, Paul did not want Peter to lose his soul. It's very possible, even for an apostle, to lose his soul. So Paul is trying to get Peter to say there's no point in that kind of division taking place. It's the same gospel, same Christ. There was no point in that. Peter was just, had just gotten off track. Okay, let's go over here now to 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13, and see what the problem is and what is the uh, solution. Preacher followers, what are you going to say, Sam? So you So in verse Yeah. So in verse 10 there in 1 Corinthians 1 Paul says I want you to all speak the same thing and be of the same mind. So how does that happen? How, how can that possibly happen? Yeah, you've got to stay with the Word. If you're going to think in the same direction, then you've got to stick with the Gospel. Okay. Isn't that the only way that a group of people could speak the same thing and be of one mind? That's correct. Each of these men mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 1 are all faithful to the gospel. They're not teaching different things. 
So what happened? Well, the people got lifted up with some sort of spirit. And it caused division. And... Right. How could you have a free-flowing game of basketball or any game if all did not follow the same rule? And, and the same thing in life, the same thing in religion, especially. And this is Paul's point here, is to speak the same thing, have the same mind. In the name of Jesus Christ, which always means according to his authority, in the name of Jesus Two big, two two things that keep people together in the religious world is instrumental music and baptism doesn't save you. As long as you believe those two false ideals, then that creates a group. Okay, I see what you're saying. All right. Anything else about First Corinthians one here? Definitely, as Brent was saying, that they're following men. And these men are faithful as far as we know, but somehow they created groups and divisions among those. And then Paul, what did Paul say about that? Is Christ divided? Yeah, is Christ divided? What's the answer to that? No, that's the whole, whole thing is that Christ does not desire division. Is Christ divided? No, you can't look at Christ and ever show him to be inconsistent um, with himself or inconsistent with the Father or inconsistent with the Spirit. Okay. What's next, Houston? What did you say then? What's the purpose you think of him saying was was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? What's, what's his purpose there? Pointing the focus back to Jesus Christ. Thank you. 
Immaturity, which results from, I just, what does that result from? Lack of study. No growth. Yeah, lack of study, lack of growth. Okay. And it tends to be somewhat human nature as well. But we're not supposed to be trying to be more like human. We're supposed to be trying to be more like God. Yeah. Trying to be more spiritual. It is almost human nature, or at least it's a tendency of humans to want to divide off. But uh, the focus on Jesus, like Houston was reading there for us, is most important. And Jesus says in Matthew 23, 8, One is your master, and all of you are brethren. One is your master, and all of you are brethren. And that's what they needed to remember in Corinth uh, as well. Speaking about human nature, you know, you heard the old story about the man who was on a deserted he was deserted on an island all by himself, and he gets rescued. And the fellow who comes up to rescue him, he says, glad to see you. He says, I see you've got three huts built there. He says, why do you have three huts? He said, well, the hut here on the left is, is where I live. And the hut right over here on the right, that's my, that's my church building. He said, well, what's that hut in the middle? He says, that's, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> It's almost human tendency to want to just divide out. But, uh, but uh, seriously, God wants us to, to strive. He wants us to, to uh, contend. He wants us to contend. He wants us to earnestly contend. He wants us to be eager for the unity of the Spirit uh, in the bond of peace. And, uh, well, thank you for going through these verses and, and these thoughts with us this evening.